0: doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. You're
1: listening to McNamara on money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, uh, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. And we are talking about, we are having a number crunching show. We're talking about numbers speak louder than words. And I think they do. They're very fun and exciting when you get into big numbers and pretty powerful stuff here. So um, what I wanted to focus on for A little bit now we were we've been talking about saving and investing and for long periods of time and, you know, returns in the market and how powerful um, long periods of time in the market can be for growth of dollars. Um, Now I wanted to sort of switch gears and talk about debt and how interest on debt is powerful in not a good way, of course, as that's an expense for you. Um, and in uh, so I, I just wanted to sort of put into perspective... You know, I just, uh, sort of everyone knows that carrying debt isn't a great thing. But, you know, there's, in my mind, sort of necessary debt, mortgage, et cetera, and, and perhaps uh, and unnecessary debt or higher interest rate debt, credit cards and such. Um, and sort of everybody knows that carrying debt, especially higher interest rate debt, is not a good thing. But But to sit down and actually look at what you actually pay for something when you purchase it with debt, I think is really cool. And it speaks loudly. Right. So
2: <laughs> Yes. I could I tell where you're going with that. Yes. And It speaks and I think,
1: louder than word. It speaks I, louder than don't carry debt. But I, let me show you how much something actually costs when you buy it with debt. That's yeah. really cool.
2: No, you're right. And I think, And I think, um, yeah, people, uh, you know, myself included, yeah, maybe, maybe you don't want to, you know, you don't want to do that, you don't want to know about it, right? You don't want to look at it because it is, you know, it's going to be. I think you know, I think you you know it's going to be powerful, um, but you don't necessarily want to hear it. And so I think, yeah, this is kind of this will be kind of an interesting thing to look at.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, so I don't know we're, we, let me, let's start with credit cards for a minute. Well, I do want to talk about mortgages and how mortgage interest over like, especially 30 years is just crazy, staggering numbers. Um But I certainly don't want to discourage anyone from, you know, by buying a piece of real estate and taking a mortgage. That's not the intent, but just, but just, but I, but I actually do want to have the conversation about shorter uh, mortgage terms versus longer mortgage terms, so like fifteen or twenty versus thirty. That is super relevant conversation. Um, but let's talk about credit cards for a minute, because because that's well, is certainly in the intent is to discourage people from from carrying, you know, like rolling balances on their credit card. Of course, of course, credit cards are great if you're, you know, paying off the balance and building credit. And, you know, certainly there are, there are good uses of credit cards, but, but to pay for something on a credit card that you can't afford and pay for it over, you know, a long period of time is not ideal. And, and it does get very costly as credit as interest rates on credit cards are, are, are incredibly high, especially in today's low interest rate world. So I'm just going to actually, this one I didn't actually do. So we're going to do this together, but I'm just assuming that the, that the number will be very powerful. So let's just assume like a $10,000 credit card balance. So let's assume someone buys something for $10,000 and they put it on a credit card. So, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, a trip and or something. Nobody's taking really trips right now, but it doesn't matter what it is. Let's say you buy something and it costs ten thousand dollars, and you're going to put it on a credit card. And I'm going to assume like an eighteen percent interest rate on the credit card. Is that fair? I actually haven't like researched what's an average credit card interest rate. Yeah, right is I, it I, a little bit lower. I just looked it um, up, and
2: that and that appears to be about right uh, for okay. for average. Yeah.
1: Look at me, I'm so good. Um, I mean,
2: yeah. Okay. I think so. Fair, let's yeah.
1: assume, yeah. And then you know we could sort of play around with with how long. St- uh, this person will carry the debt, you know, how, what their payment is, how long they're carrying it. But just for a minute, I have I, the $10,000 credit card debt at 18% annual interest rate, and I'm having them pay that down at 250 bucks a month, which at that rate takes more than five years to pay down that credit card. So, um, I can actually pull a liability schedule, which is like an amortization table, and I can add up exactly how much they're going to pay. So what I, what I want to do is what is the interest that you're paying on that 10,000 translation? How much did that $10,000 purchase actually cost you if you had to carry that debt for five years? So I think this is a really powerful thing. Like, again, we do this when we when we do the high school fair, because this is it's really, really important to teach young people why we say, don't use a credit card unless you can pay it off. You know, of course, you know, there are emergencies and, and things happen and I understand all that. And of course, you know, credit cards are there in emergency situations if there's really no other option. But so I'm going to pull an amortization table, which just basically says, you know, month over month, what's your interest payment and what's your principal payment? So at $250 a month at 18% on $10,000, you are only paying, hold on, that's the wrong, hold on, that's the wrong report. You're only paying hundred bucks a month in principal at the beginning, even though the total payment is $250, your interest payment is $150 and your principal payment is only $100. So I guess we actually, we could have a whole separate discussion about, uh, amortization tables, which I think we should do when we talk about the, uh, the mortgages, Kirk, I'm sorry, this is taking me, I tried to do the, well, I, just, here. I tried to start this when we were doing the break.
2: Yeah, I did. So I just did but, one quickly here.
1: Uh, we do 62 months, I guess. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, so my, I did $10,000, $10,000 balance at 18% yeah. and I just, I did $200, you know, so $200 per month. Um, okay. And so it says it takes 94 months uh, to, to pay it off. And, okay. And the interest that you pay over that 94 months is $8,622.
1: Okay, yeah, that's even crazier. So that, so that ten in that example, where nine, where you're carrying that debt for nine years, that's a long time. That ten thousand dollar item or trip or whatever costs you nineteen thousand dollars. I finally pulled mine up. If you're paying it down at two fifty a month, you're only carrying that debt for sixty two months. I shouldn't say only, but five years versus nine. And you're right. at two hundred a month, five years is still a long time to carry credit card debt. But at two fifty a month, you carry that for more than five years your interest is $5,386 so that $10,000 purchase costs you $15,000 right so that is super powerful like when you're talking to someone that is just you know learning the concept of what is a credit card you're 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 borrowing money you're paying more for something than it actually costs, but you do have that immediate satisfaction, right? You you purchase something before you could afford it. So you have that immediate satisfaction, but it costs you for that because it, so, and it costs you an interest. And the longer you carry that debt, the more it's going to cost you in an interest. Um, and you know even if you pay it down relatively quickly like I could pay it down at um, what if we did like 350 a month it's going to carry that debt that so $10,000 at 18% if we pay it down at 350 a month you're still carrying it for 38 months. Yeah. Yeah. So 350 a month for 38 months is $13,300 in total payments, which means your interest was $3,300. That's a, that's a, literally a third yeah. of the the cost of whatever the item was. So I, I just like to make that point that, you know, immediate gratification is, you know, we we're, we're we're definitely in this world of people expect immediate gratification. Things are just available to people so quickly. Nobody has any patience these days, right? It's just where, that's just a society we live in. But in, but in the example of using a credit card, it's, uh, that's, that's incredibly, it can be incredibly costly. I also wanted to, so I also wanted to have this conversation regarding interest on mortgages. So obviously we're going to be talking about much bigger numbers. And, and of course, like I said earlier, it's, this is not meant to discourage anyone from purchasing a home i you know you know real estate historically has appreciated quite well in this area of the world and i and lifestyle and you know controlling you know your 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 housing payment versus renting i you know i think there's there's all good things for that i just but i want people to to think about especially when it comes to refinancing it's super common in our world to to just to refinance and continue stretching out and stretching out and stretching out instead of refinancing and keeping your uh, the term the same or shortening the term, it's not incredibly common for people to refinance and shorten their term or even stay with with the same term. People are constantly refinancing out and push in and because it, because it lowers payment, of course. So I put in. Well, I was playing around with a couple of things. First, I put in a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage, and then I put in a six hundred thousand dollar mortgage. So at a mortgage. Let's just do that one for a minute. If someone carries a $400,000 mortgage at, I used a 4% interest rate. I know that's a little bit high for right now, but historically it's really not. So if someone carries a $400,000 mortgage starting balance for 30 years, let's assume they don't refinance ever. They just keep that mortgage for 30 years. That like doesn't happen, but just for illustrative purposes and interest rate is 4%. So the interest that they pay over that period of time is, do you want to make a guess? Uh, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. It's
2: no, a lot. No, uh, I was going to say $150,000.
1: $287,000. Wow, okay. So, a, so they borrow 400,000, 4% annual interest. If they keep that loan for the thirty-year period of time, uh, their principal and interest payment is nineteen hundred and nine dollars, and their uh, interest over the life of the loan is two hundred and eighty-seven thousand dollars. That, that's that's crazy.
2: Right. So total cost is what six eighty-seven, six hundred eighty-seven thousand. Total 000.
1: cost is $687,000. to buy 000.
2: that four hundred thousand okay. dollars house. Yeah.
1: Now, what if someone did had a four hundred thousand dollars loan at and they took a fifteen-year loan. So actually, before we get there, what, again, one one of the things you can I pulled up what's called an amortization table, and what it shows is total payment. In this case, was nineteen oh nine, and it will show what component of that is interest and what component of that is principal. So interest in the world of in the world of debt, interest is front-loaded, and principal paydown is back-loaded back-ended, back-loaded. So in the first year, in the first several years, you're paying much more in interest, especially on a 30-year loan. You're paying more in interest than you are in principal. So in this breakdown, this amortization table at 4%, the 1909 payment is $1,333 of interest and $576 of principal. And then, so it takes... Oh my goodness, let me go. Let me see how long it takes for that for that principal and interest to break even so right. that they're roughly equal. So you're sending the same amount of principal as you are interest. It doesn't break even until like 12 years out. That's crazy, right? And then it flips to you're paying more principal than interest. So, oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> and I want to make another point. Okay, but I'll come back to that point. So, then let's say someone has a a uh, $400,000 mortgage. And they take a 15-year loan, not a 30. Now we can, I, I did lower the interest rate in the in in the world of mortgages. I think I, I don't actually know if it's all throughout history or just in the recent in the recent past. But you if you take a 15-year loan, that's not as much risk to the bank. So they're gonna offer you a lower interest rate, right? So I did, I did use a slightly lower interest rate in this example, which which will make the interest lower, but that's very realistic. So on a 15-year loan, I used a three and a half percent. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I used a three and a quarter percent interest rate versus a four. Okay. So I do want to make that point that I'm not using the same interest rate, but that is realistic. So in a 15 year loan at $400,000, your payment is not 1909 anymore. Of course it's higher because you're paying it down in in 15 years. Your payment is $2,810 and your interest over the Fifteen-year period is not two hundred and eighty-seven thousand dollars, like it was for the thirty-year. It's a hundred and six thousand dollars. It's less than, ha- much less than half.
2: Yeah, very for, substantial. For yeah,
1: much, and it, and it's only a quarter of the value of the amount you borrowed. Right. Whereas in our first and a 30 year loan, your interest paid over the life of the loan was more than half. What was that like 60 or 70, 60 or 65 percent of the value of what you borrowed? You're paying an in interest. And so with the, with a shorter loan, number one, yes, to be totally upfront, I did use a lower interest rate, but I think that's a realistic way to model this. But your interest is, le- is is about a quarter a little bit more than a quarter 25% of what you borrowed so so crazy staggering difference there and now to go a little bit further so we talked about you know on in, in, in a 30 year mortgage the the interest is really front loaded you're paying a lot of interest at the front and then you get down to working down principal you know again that didn't break even for 12 years in terms of the amount you're paying for principal being equal to the amount you're paying for interest, and then it flips where you're paying more principal in later years, in the later eighteen years. So, but with a fifteen-year loan, so in this one payment is twenty-eight hundred and ten bucks. So, of course, someone has to be able to afford that. I totally understand, you know, you know, making this worth work for cash flow reasons. But if someone can make that work and pay it down in fifteen years. Their $2,810 is broken down to $1,083 in interest and $1,727 in principal. There's more principal being paid from the get-go. Right,
2: right off the bat, That's yeah.
1: Right yeah. off the bat, there's more principal being paid than interest. That's so crazy to me. So I wanna go back. I got really excited a few minutes ago because so with the 30-year loan, remember, we, so we just we just determined that it took about, so again, lots of interest upfront, a little bit of principal. Then it took about 12 years for the principal and interest, uh, components to be roughly equal. I think on average, I feel like I asked a mortgage professional this not long ago. I want to say on average people refinance every seven or so years.
2: Some, so something if like you're, that,
1: yeah. if you're in a third, less than 12 years for sure. Right. Well, interest rates have been really low in the last decade or so. So, so in recent past, I'm sure people have been refinancing more than, than the, than the long, than, uh, throughout history. So, If you're in a 30-year mortgage to start and you're not even 12 years in and you refinance back to a 30, you're just, so you're, you're, you can, you're re sort of resetting to that front loading of interest. Like you're, you're paying a bunch of interest in the first 10 or 12 years on a 30 year loan anyway. And then if you refinance and before you're flipping to pay more principal to another 30 year loan, you're like resetting it and you're paying a whole bunch of interest again. And so, and if you just do that over time, how much are you really working down that principal? If you just keep taking uh, longer loans? I mean, just, you know, I understand lowering payment and all that, but but how much are you really working down the, bal- the balance of that debt? So I just, I wanted to make that point about about refinancing. I certainly think there are times when it makes sense to refinance. I, I, I think refinancing, oh, if there's any mortgage people listening, they might call and get angry with me, but I do think refinancing can be, is a little bit overdone. I think people get a little bit excited about it. Maybe it's not a, sometimes when it's not, necessarily in someone's best interest if you really analyze you know, how long are you going to stay in this property? Are you going to get to that point where you're paying down more principal than interest? Like when you really do some number crunching, I, I don't know that it always makes sense for people to refinance, even if the interest rates is better, a little bit better. Yeah. I just, and um, I want, I wanted
2: to touch on, um, you know, you mentioned uh, towards the end of the loan, right. And so things have shifted. And so the way that the amortization table works is that as you get near the end of the loan, you're paying, you know, mostly principal, right. Because you paid, yeah. you've paid a lot of that interest up front. And so now towards the end, it's, it's mostly uh, principal that you're paying. And, you know, so depending on, you know, so let's say you've got, you know, maybe a few years left, you know, a couple years left, you know, three, four years left, something like that uh, on a, and it was maybe if it was originally a 30 year in that situation, it's going to be mostly principal. And, you know, sometimes maybe people that's getting close to somebody's retirement and, you know, sometimes they'll be thinking, wow, you know, it'd be nice to just pay this off and, and get rid of it. Um, you know, I, I hate Making that payment. I don't like having the debt, you know, hanging over my head. But from a from a finance mm. point of view, you know, there's if if they're playing mostly principal, they're probably not carrying, you know, a whole lot of, you know, the interest is isn't as big of a factor yeah. as it was early earlier in the loan. And so, you know, you need to think about that. And, you know, does it make sense to, you know, if are you taking money from your investments that are earning, you know, five percent To pay down something that you know is costing you, you know, one or two percent, depend, you know, and you can do that math depending on, uh, you know, where you are in the in the loan cycle. I think, you know, so I think that that, and then the other thing people say, well, and then sometimes people say, well, I want to keep the mortgage because of the tax incentives, and well, if you're at the end of end of the loan, there's not much interest, and so there really is no, you know, there's not much of a tax, right?
1: Especially, well, especially with the changes in the tax code in the last couple of years and the standard deduction. Production being so high now, right. especially for a married couple, the standard deduction is like is what is it twenty five thousand dollars? Like m- many people with reasonable size balance balances on their mortgage, especially married couples, are not even benefiting from itemizing from the itemized deduction of of mortgage interest because most people. I want to say I read a statistic seventy or eighty percent of Americans now are are taking a standard deduction because they're because it's so great right now. Right. Yeah, and I do want to just really quickly. Do we have enough time to do a six hundred thousand dollars mortgage? I think we do.
2: You got about um, you got about one minute plus. Okay.
1: Crazy. $600,000 mortgage at 4% for 30 years. Interest over the life of the loan. Oh crap. I didn't add it up. Hold on. (laughs) Can I say that on the air? I shouldn't, that wasn't really a swear. Um, interest over the life of a $600,000 loan at 4% for 40 years is $431,000. So that's $600,000 loan. If you hold that for 30 years at 4%, which is a great interest rate, actually, historically, um, interest paid is $431,000. Now I did $600,000 loan really quick. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's crazy. If you only took that $600,000 loan, and if you were able to pay it off in 15 years, interest over the life of the loan, uh, $158,000. Yikes. Again, yeah. it's like twenty five percent of the value. Yeah. I used, I did use a three and a quarter. I used a lower interest rate, but that's that's crazy. That's a third. That's a third of the interest. Um, if you're able to pay it down quicker, so we got to take a break. We're talking about how numbers are more powerful than words. I certainly think they are. <laughs> I uh, can tell. Melissa mcnamara Reed, you're listening to McNamara on Money. Can you hear the excitement in yes. my voice? We're just taking a, a break, and we'll be right back. We're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm back just in time. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed, joined by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Uh, we're talking about numbers today. We're having so much fun. Numbers speak louder than words, I think, in in some situations.
2: It's coming across um, very clearly.
1: Yes, you're doing a great I t- job. I told you. It so yes. uh, I'm so. I get. I get so proud of myself when I come up with like a new topic that we haven't, you know, really done before on the show and. Um, anyway, I hope it's helpful and informative and that's, you know, the idea every week anyway. Um, so, um... We are talking, well, we've gone over several concepts and, and I sort of wanted to tell, well, there's a couple more things I wanted to touch on, maybe related to saving for college. And another idea I had was just like, just like general budgetary type stuff and how much people spend in, in different categories on average. So we spent some time talking about, you know, value of money over time, value of invested money over time. And we just had a really, that was a really cool discussion on, on carrying debt and, and how much interest is paid. On debt over long periods of time, um, that one was really fun. So I just wanted to touch on. Well, let's touch on some just like random budgetary type stuff. I, 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 if I had had a little bit more time, I think I would have spent more time on this. But I just started thinking in my head about like, okay, where you know, it's never our, it's never my role as a financial advisor to judge anyone on where they spend their money. That's not the point of this. And there have actually been people throughout my career that have wanted me to to judge where they spend their money and tell them, you know, what changes to make. And that's that's not something that I've ever been comfortable with because everyone's lifestyle is different. Everyone has different priorities. I, you know, I think people should spend money on the things that make them the happiest, you know, and like, and and maybe you know, not everyone has unlimited resources, of course. So, you know, spend the money on the things that are important to you and maybe, you know, cut back in other places. So it's not, that's not my business where people spend their money. Having said that, I just pulled some examples. I just wanted, I just did some quick research on just quick things like where people spend their money. And well, what if you didn't spend money there and you saved that, you know, instead or invested or invested that instead. And, and just, I don't know, just sort of a fun, meant to be like a fun-loving conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so just quick examples like coffee, for example. Like it's just an easy, um, you know, you can make, I make coffee, I do make coffee at home almost every day. I, I'm not, I don't love you know, Starbucks, I do get the occasional Dunkin coffee, but you know, like for the people that are spending, you know, what, three to $5 a day on a coffee, that's just a good example of something that like, you know, again, if that makes you happy, all the power to you, but you know, it, it, it's just something that for illustrative purposes, if you cut that and, and save that, you know, that can really add up and it's just coffee, right? Like you can make a cup of coffee at home for what, 50 cents, right? Like yeah. a bag of coffee makes how many cups of coffee? Well, probably 25 cents, even if you if you really think about it. And so like, I just pulled really quickly that the average American spends $1,400 a year on coffee. <laughs> like on, you know, I guess Starbucks and Dunkin's and the like, you know, it just begs the question, like, well, what if, we invested that money. And, you know, what is that worth in 20 years? In a Roth IRA, for example, double amazing, right? Uh,
2: So, 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 uh, yeah, I just looked it up. So brewing a cup of coffee at home costs you about 18 cents a cup,
1: 18 cents a cup.
2: That's just like an average number based, you know, based on an average, I guess, bag of coffee. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, okay. And so, you know, I guess to really do this equally, we'd have to say, so, so if someone's, if the average American spends 1400 bucks a year on coffee, when they could have really spent, what did you just say? 18 cents a day,
2: 18 cents a cup.
1: Oh, a cup. cup. Okay. So that'd be like, if that was one cup a day, I had more than that. But if that was two cups a day, that'd be like $120 a year versus $1,400 a year. So like if someone invested that difference, which is almost exactly a hundred dollars a month, what if you invested a hundred dollars a month for five years what is that 60 months? If you invest a hundred dollars a month for five years, let's say you stop, you know, grabbing that cup of coffee on your, I guess, you know, maybe more people are brewing at home these days anyway, working from home. But what if you continued to do that? Even if you have to commute again in the future. And if you did that for five years, so you saved your 6,000 buck, that's 6,000 bucks in five years. And what if you could earn seven or 8% earnings on that? That's you know, that's north of 7,000 bucks in five years. Like that, you know, that, that stuff can really add up. And that's just a small example. Cause I just, you know, of course wanted to start small there, but then I did something. I, I was trying to look up what people spend. I guess I was trying, I was thinking of women, like what women spend on average on like hair, nails, makeup, like, and so I found this, you know, I found a bunch of articles and I found one that was, I want to say it was Groupon did the study and that they were trying to study like, you know, women were buying Groupon coupons for, you know, manicures, pedicures, uh, beauty products, haircuts, facials. So I found this study that, and it was pretty recent, it was actually, I think, in early 20, earlier in 2020 or late in 2019, um, that women spend an average of $313 a month on their appearance, which meet, which was a combination of haircuts, facials, makeup, mani, manicures and pedicures that didn't, to my knowledge, did not include clothing. So, you know, and if, and just what if you even cut that in half, right? And, and you can save, a, you know, $160 in, you know, a month for five years, that's almost $10,000 that you could save in 10 years. And if you invested that and earned seven or 8%, that's five, eleven, twelve, thirteen thousand five, know, year,
2: five,
1: really, five years, five years, five years. Five years. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. So I, 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 and then I just, the only other one I was trying to pull was not currently, but in recent years, how much were people spending dining out? Cause I know that that can be a huge expense and that's a huge, and then again, that's, that's a total, you know, lifestyle choice and, you know, uh, couple that with people being, you know, again, maybe not right this moment, but people being really busy, you know, busy working professionals and busy families. And, you know, dining out is just, I think it's just something that's just, it's gotten quite significant in terms of a family's expenditure in recent history. And I, I, there's, I didn't, spend a whole ton of time on this. I found something about like how much millennials spend dining out. And that was just, what that's just one person I was trying to find, you know, how much like an average family of four spends dining out. And, and again, I didn't have enough time, but, I, but I'm going to guess it's going to be like, you know, if an, if a family of four eats out, dines out once a week, it's easily a hundred to $150 a week. Yeah. Right. And that's just one time a week. And that probably doesn't mm-hmm. even include alcohol right. And you're probably upwards of a couple hundred bucks a week, just one going out once a week for a family of like four or five people. Right. And when a hundred, you know, a hundred, let's call it 200 bucks a week for a family of four or five to eat out once a week, that's over $10,000 a year. And what, you know, but, and what if it was twice a week? What if it was like once midweek and, you know, once on the weekend, maybe once takeout and once, you know, we dining out, that's probably 300 to $350 a week. Right. Which is eighteen thousand dollars a year, and of course, you know food, even food at the grocery store has has gotten quite expensive but but um dining out is just an example of something that that is quite significant and and the clients that I worked with over the years, you know, one of the exercises I have them go through is just you know, do for me like a little expense itemization and and I just like my clients to go through that exercise for a variety of reasons. But one, just being awareness and and people that are aware of where their money is spent are just more more responsible about spending generally. And so, but one of the most common things I hear is... I can't believe how much money we spend dining out because it it just really, really adds up. I mean, it could be, you know, 20 easily could be $20,000 a year for a family for dining out. And so, and so the point is like, well, what if you just cut that in half? You know, that, that could easily be $10,000 a year and just simple math, even without investment earnings, that's $50,000 in five years. Now, of course you have to buy food and all that. So maybe it's, you know, not quite that simple, but if, what if it was cut by a third and, and, um, that can be really, really substantial over time. So anyway, that was, I, I, you know, I didn't, I was kind of toying with, should we even get into that? But, and again, I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't love dining out. So maybe that's just easy for me to say that I never really, I never really did. Um, even before COVID, but the point is that people should like, I just think it is a good exercise for people to go through where their money is spent and just sort of, you know, ask themselves, how hard would it be for me to, you know, cut back on this or that or eliminate this or that? And, and what could that translate to in terms of me tucking a little bit more away for my kids college or for my retirement or, or whatever, or building up my savings account or paying down this debt. And know. I just think those are, that's just a good exercise for people to go through. What
2: are you going to say? You know, I, and I, I say this. I think I feel like I say this almost every time we do a show. But um, to me, like my best advice for people is, if you if you feel like you're, you know, maybe not saving enough, or, or if you want to start saving, you know, anything is better than nothing. And it's all about you know getting some momentum and you know setting up some kind of a savings plan. You know, where you've got automatic you know, automatic, you know, automatically every month, you've got money going out of your, you know, your checking or your savings and going, you know, somewhere else, uh, where it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, it's, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's being invested, maybe it's not, but at least it's going somewhere else where you're not going to touch it. And, you know, after a little bit of time, you'll, you'll start, you'll see that and you'll, and you'll, you'll start to feel good about it and, and seeing that money starting to accumulate. And then, you know, once you see that you can do it, and you don't you don't miss those funds you know being in your account and you're like oh yeah we could do this and then maybe maybe you, you you know because it does feel good you increase a little bit and 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 that sort and of, i think it's all about just getting started and building that momentum and you know saying we're so busy i mean everyone is so busy and you know that's just one of those things that you know you say well yeah i'll i'll do that you know at some point and um or I'll do it when, if I get you know if I get a bonus or something like that. But it doesn't matter how much it is. Just start with anything. You know, if it's twenty five dollars or fifty dollars a month or whatever, just just to get it going and, and just start and you'll and you'll see it. Like I said, you'll see it. You'll see it building and you'll feel good about it, and and you'll want it to keep going. And and I, that's you know I think that's the best advice I can give people. Yeah. All
1: right. Just one, we have like ten or fifteen minutes. I just wanted to touch on one other thing. I was thinking about this as it relates to college, like in. You know, I kind of want to come back to to compounding earnings over time and how it relates to college. And so I just I went through a little exercise like, you know, for people, you know, if people wait until their kids are in their early teens to really start thinking about tucking money away for college, you know, and maybe they have a greater earnings ability at that time, maybe maybe one of the spouses was home with younger kids for a period of time and is back to work. So they do have a greater savings ability at that time, which, which I actually think is quite powerful. Like when I meet, I'll just digress for a moment, but you know, sometimes I'm working with a, a married couple and um, maybe one spouse is home with the kids and the other spouse is the working spouse, you know, and they're asking about saving for college. And and I, I do think that small amounts over long periods of time are, are very powerful. And I actually have some numbers to go over in a second. But I just think another uh, another way to tackle affordability of college educations when you're in a, when you're in a, when you're a married couple and you're in a position where you're living off of one spouse's income. If that other spouse is to go back to work when the kids are older and that's, you know, what's more realistic for, I'll be sexist and say, it's mom going back to work. You know, if you're, if you were living off of one salary for X number of years and then the other spouse goes back to work, theoretically, you don't really need that salary unless you had accrued debt or whatever. Hopefully you didn't. You could earmark almost that entire after tax amount of that second salary, for college. That's that that's just like a sort of a clean and easy way to think about, okay, how much can we be saving for college later? And I think if, in theory, an easy conversation when spouses, when there's one working spouse, when the kids are young, and then that spouse can go back to work and make a guess about earnings ability. Having said that, saving like we like we talked about, saving over long periods of time is really powerful. So I just did a, a couple little exercises where I, you know, I, I thought of, okay, what if someone saves... a month for five years. Like, let's say their kid gets to be, you know, in middle school, you know, maybe 13 or whatever. And they're, you know, they're kind of like, okay, you know, now I have, I really got to focus on this. I, I, oh my gosh, college is right around the corner. I have $2,000 a month I can save. So 2000 bucks a month at over five years, and I'm going to use a 6% rate of return if it's a short period of time and that money is needed in, in Five years, you can't invest that. You shouldn't invest that very aggressively because we talked about earlier in the show. Max drawdown potential in an aggressive portfolio in that period, of, in a short period of time, is is substantial. So I'm going to use a six percent rate of return. Maybe that's even high. Maybe I should use four or five. But for a second, just to be consistent with the other math, I'm going to use six. So that's total contributions of $120,000 of your own money, which is two thousand bucks a month for five years, and at six percent, that grows to be $139,000 roughly. So you're earning on that are about 19,000 bucks at 6%. Then uh, contrast that with what if someone had planned five years earlier? So now someone's like, I have 10 years before my kid's going to school. I can save a thousand bucks a month. So you're, you're saving again, the same capital of $120,000 of your own money for this education goal, but now you're saving over a 10 year period of time. So instead of that money growing to 139,000, it grows to... At same 6%, $162,000. Then I went a little further and I said, what if you did 500 bucks a month for 18 years? I'm gonna use 18, not 20. So you're actually saving a little bit less of your own capital. So 500 bucks a month for 18 years is $108,000 of your own money saved. And at that same 6% rate of return over 18 years, it's $190,000 future value. So that diff that and that was even with less of your own capital saved because I didn't do it for uh, 20 years I did it for 18 so that's just like you know that's just again that that that, that just compounding earnings over time is just really powerful I mean the difference between a hundred and thirty nine thousand and hundred and ninety thousand in that example is a is a year of tuition in, in today's dollars
2: yeah those are awesome almost, those anyway. are yeah, yeah those are really good um, examples yeah those are awesome awesome yeah. I mean it really does show the power of it yeah
1: yeah I mean, maybe, and maybe not a full well, full private public school tuition anyway, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not a full private school tuition, um, but just, you know, just things for people to think about. And, and, you know, like I said, I, you know, saving, save early and save op- often is, you know, I, we say that all the time, but when you really look at the numbers, it, you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's why people say that, you know, I'm one of those people that's always had to like prove things, you know, I, I you know, I like to prove, uh, you know, learn things for myself, you know, I, I. I was never, I guess, never really one to be told what to do. <laughs> I just had to like figure that stuff out for myself. And then I really believe it up. That's just my personality. So I'm sort of doing this show, catering to those other personalities like me. you got to see the numbers to believe it, right? right. You got to see it for yourself. So go to, go, you know, pull up a savings calculator and throw some numbers in there and do some projections or even better, go to that super cool website we were playing around with earlier. What was the name of it? portfolio visualizer. And, and you can play around with historical rates of return in the markets. It's really cool. They they do have a subscription, some sort of subscription you can buy through there, but you can play around with backtesting it very simplistically without paying for anything and even giving them your email address. So, so that's really cool. All right. We've got eight or nine minutes or so, right? So um, what else did we miss in terms of like you know, I think we did a lot of, a lot of compounding of earnings numbers, which I think is really cool. The only other thing I thought of was, uh, with regards to debt is, is we didn't talk about like student loan debt. I mean, we talked about mortgages, we talked about credit cards, student loans are kind of like right there in the middle. And what I mean by that is sort of in my mind and with my clients, I, there's a few ways I think about debt, like, Sort of in my mind, there's necessary debt, and by that I mean mortgages and, and I guess car loans to a point, necessary debt, relatively low interest rate. And then there's, in my mind, unnecessary debt, you know, borrowing a real emergency, you know, unnecessary debt is credit card debt. Very high interest rate. And then right there in the middle is student loans, which are, you know, interest rates I've seen recently, um, you know, maybe some of them in the fours, but five, six, seven, eight percent. So kind of right there in the middle in terms of interest rates. And, you know, I, I, I do understand that's a necessary debt. I think it can be, I think to a point, I don't know, obviously there's lots of choices that, that students have in, with regards to where they go to school and how much the education costs. But, I, but, you know, college education, quite necessary for many professions, not all of them, but uh, for for most people, a necessary debt. But I, I, I guess it would be fun to play around, unless you could think of anything else for, for the next five or six minutes, it would be cool to play around with interest on those on student loan debts, because actually there are people that carry student loan debt for like 20 years Yeah, and that, and that interest can really, really add up over time. And, and, you know, working to pay that down in a shorter period of time will significantly lower the amount of interest due. I mean, that's a tough one, I guess though, because, you know, with student loan debt, you're, you know, you're also balancing it with getting my 401k savings started and getting a, you know, down payment saved for my house and getting into a house and having a mortgage. Like you had to balance it with all that, but we okay. could play around with some numbers unless you had another brilliant idea for the next six minutes of the show.
2: No, that's, Do you? No, that's, <laughs> I've, I wish I did. Kind of um, really
1: test your brilliance right I now. Wish
2: I, I wish I did. Um, I was, you know, I was going to say, yeah, it's student loans. I think, you know, I would agree that that's that would fall into the the realm of necessary uh debt um you know for 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 most for most people it it's just it's so it's such Are a big number know, uh and most people can't oh, you know shit. can't afford to oh, save that, that ahead of time or or pay for it out of cash flow. So there, I think there are, I think, I think there are always gonna be debt, you know, there is gonna be student loan debt. And that's certainly a, a, a value, you know, some a value, uh, a valuable thing uh, to pursue, you know, in an education. But yeah, the rates, yeah, you gotta be careful about the rates. I don't know if you have like federal, I mean, obviously there are federal rates um, that, you know, are subsidized that are a little bit better. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you have those numbers. I was just trying to look them I, up. I don't,
1: I wanna say there are they in the fives right now? I, I pulled a what I did was I just for a moment, I'm going to model a forty thousand dollar student loan balance at six percent. I want to say the average amount of loans that a graduate is now carrying is like is less than forty thousand. Right. I want to say it's in the 30s, mid 30s. I don't know what the average interest rate is, but I'm guessing 6% is not all that far off. So just if I really quickly pull a report for, let's say someone has $40,000 in student loans at 6%, and let's say that they're just going to pay like the minimum toward those loans for a long period of time. So I am going to show a $300 a month payment on $40,000, which at that rate someone would carry the loan for 18, more than 18 years, actually. And again, same thing with a mortgage amortization. When you carry debt for a long time, when you have a long you know, payment period, the interest is really is front loaded and you're not much paying down your principal toward the beginning. And so it, you know, if that's the case and someone is carrying that starting you know, balance of, of 40,000 debt for 18 years and just sort of like paying the minimum and working on other things in their life, you pay twenty six thousand bucks in interest, even at six percent, which is pretty reasonable for for student loan interest. You know that that's that's a that's a lot. That's more than half. Clearly, it's almost a third, right? Two thirds, right? Of the of the bar- borrowed amount. And then if you let me just see if I can do it over ten years. So like, if you paid that for, if you got yourself on a schedule to pay down those loans in ten years, you'd have to pay uh, four hundred and forty four dollars a month on that loan. And that's $444 a month times 12 months times 10 years. Then your interest is $12,000, $12,800 over the life of the loan. So pretty significantly less. That's like half, right? Yeah. That's less than half. And then let's say what you were really responsible doobie and maybe you lived with your parents for a little while while you were whacking down these loans <laughs> and you could pay that off or you had a bunch of roommates and really had low expenses. And let's say you were like, I'm going to pay this off in five years at 6%, 40,000. At 6% paid off in five years, you'd have to pay $773 a month and 12 months, oops, 773, 12 months, five years. You're only paying six thousand three hundred and eighty bucks in interest if you pay that off in, in five years, and you're a good little responsible doobie and you get rid of your debt and and maybe it's not as much fun in the early yep. years if you're living at home but but that is that's those that those are some crazy numbers. That is a quarter of the interest um, if you can pay it off in five years versus eighteen. so numbers are super powerful, and I hope this was helpful. Um, I love crunching numbers. We have lots of tools available to us. You know, hypothetical conversations about saving and paying down debt are great, but modeling and showing people the numbers is just so powerful. So that was the intent of today's show. So I hope that was helpful. Um, Do we have music playing? We do. So we uh, we will wrap it up. Uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I was joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. You've been listening to McNamara on money. We hope that you are now a believer that numbers are more powerful than words. Uh, that was a fun show. I hope everyone got a little something out of that. Find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfNamaraMac.com. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Take care. Be well. Bye-bye.